And this morning, what I get to talk to you about is how much worth you have in the Lord. This is bringing the low places high because one of the greatest lies that the enemy wants to tell us, right, is about our identity. This is a lie that he told Jesus at, toward the end of his temptation. He thinks, oh, I'm going to try to get him when he's weak, but he couldn't get Jesus. But he, he tries to tell him, he tries to lie to him. He says, if you are the son of God, right? If you are the son of God, throw yourself off this thing and, you know, do this thing. If you are the son of God, he's trying to get him to question who he is. And he tries to do the same thing with us. Now, the other lie that the enemy likes to tell us and that it's, it's sometimes we buy into is to get to question what God said. Did God really mean you would die if you ate that fruit, right? So he tries to get us to question what God says and he tries to get us to question who God has said we are, our identity. And this morning we're gonna talk exactly about that, about who we are, how much God values and loves each of us. All right, so let's pray. If you would, pray with me. We're gonna, we're gonna dive into this. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you are doing in each life here. God, I, I confess that there is nothing that I can say there's no way in which I can say it that would open a heart, that would open eyes, that would open my eyes. But God, when you get involved, when you partner with your people, when, when you step in and you move, God, our eyes are opened, our hearts become illuminated to your truth. And that's what I ask for this morning, that you would speak. They don't need to hear a message from me. They need to hear you. I need to hear you. And I ask that you would speak to us. God, it's you that we need. God, I surrender this time to you, and we ask that you would, you would come in Jesus' name. So if you would, right there where you're at, ask the Lord if he would speak to you through his word this morning. And then if you would, pray for me, that the Lord might give me something helpful for you. Lord, we trust you, we love you. We give this time to you, asking and believing that you will do far more than we can imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna dive into Psalm 139 this morning. I'm gonna be reading from an exhaustive translation called the Passion Translation. So if I'm reading this and you're like, this isn't what my... Bible is, is saying, uh, it's saying the same thing, but it's saying it in a lot more words. And so I, I just, I felt like the Lord was speaking through this passage and uh, here we go. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13, says, you formed my innermost being. This is a psalmist writing about the Lord. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. Thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously 
complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Every single moment you are thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every seashore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. And we're going to talk more about that passage in just a little bit. But I want to ask us a question this morning. And if, if you've heard much of my teaching, you've heard me ask this question before. But I believe it's important to continually ask our hearts this question. Because it's, it's like foundational to our relationship with God. It affects everything else in our lives, in our Christian lives. It's this question, how do you believe God sees you? And when I ask that question, what I mean is, when he looks at you, how do you think he feels about you? What do you think he feels when he looks at you? Now, I, I ask the question, and I want to give us just some time to ponder this because... If I think that God is disappointed in me, if I think he's angry with me, I'm going to respond to him very differently than if I think he loves me and adores me. My relationship with him is going to come from a much different place if I'm relating to someone who loves me and adores me and, and, and is, is, is just pouring his grace upon me than someone who is angry and disappointed and kind of looks at me and is like, what are you doing, dude? Now, many of you have heard my testimony that for years, most of my life, I, I didn't know it. I wouldn't have been able to put it into words, but I believed that God was angry with me. I believed he was disappointed in me. I believed he, he just kind of put up with me because Jesus died on the cross and so now he kind of was stuck with me. Now I believed this because I didn't, I didn't know how to connect with him. I didn't know how to develop that thing with him that was intimate and wonderful and so I filled in the gap and just thought the worst, right? I don't know if you can relate. But the question is, how do you believe God sees you? All right, so before we get into the answer of that, I just want to look at how the world sees love. Now, I think the world gets love wrong in a lot of ways. They can pervert the, uh, what love really is and, and make it something that's, that's gross. And yet, I think sometimes, culturally, we see this glimmer of, wow, it could be in this way that the world 
gets love in a way that maybe the church can forget. I'm going to make this clearer in just a little bit. So let's talk about some movies and some songs and and, uh, some writing here. This is some things that the world gives us ideals of love. Romeo speaks about Juliet and he said, did my heart love till now forswear its sight for ne'er saw true beauty till this night. I have no idea where that accent came from. It just like came over me and I, I'm sorry, but you know, the point is when love comes upon Romeo, he sees his beloved and it's like beauty. He's never seen beauty before. All of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. And this is what love sees. He sees the beloved and he's like, you're beautiful. Wow. Any Princess Bride fans in the room? Anybody? Wow, I thought there would be like one. (laughs) There's like everyone. That's great. Okay, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Prince Humperdinck, great name, right? Like where did they come up with that? But Prince Humperdinck is trying to talk Buttercup out of falling for Wesley. And he's like, yeah, he's probably moved on. You know, he's probably over you by now. And so confident is Buttercup in Wesley's love that she says, my Wesley will always come for me. And this is what happens with love. The beloved that knows that they are loved is so confident and says, I know love will come for me. Now in music, the weekend He's like a rapper dash singer guy. Is he up there? Hey, that's a big, that, that's awesome. Okay, uh, he writes this song to the extent he would go to for love when he said he would die for you. Wrote this song, Die For You, right? That's, that's his extent that he says he would go to for love. Bruno Mars, he would take a grenade for you, right? He would throw his hand on a blade for you. He would jump in front of a train for you. And that's just a lot of painful things that he would do for love. The proclaimers would walk 500 miles, And then 500 more, which is a lot of miles, just to be the man to fall down at your door. Did I get that right? I don't know. Did you guys remember that song? I would walk 500. Someone was singing it with me this morning. There we go. Yeah, okay. That's good. Yeah, so they would walk a lot of miles to show their love. And apparently, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell would go as low as the Mariana Trench, which is the lowest place that we know of on earth. It's down in in the Atlantic Ocean, it's way down there. Or as high as Mount Everest because, and sing it with me if you know it. Baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. Yeah. Ain't no valley low enough. There ain't no river wide enough. To keep me from getting to you, babe. Right? All right. So we get it though, right? We get what these songwriters are saying. We get what the writers are saying. We get what the movies are talking about. Why? 
Why is it so apparent what they're talking about? This love that would go to any extent for the beloved. We, we, something in our hearts like registers with that and says, yes, that's love. That's love. And we register with that for a reason. God has put it within us to see that this is what love is, that that love would go to any extent for the beloved because of this. I believe God has put within every person this innate sense of what love is, this great passion to be loved, to be greatly loved, to hear a story of someone going to any extent for the one that they love, and we register with that, and we yearn for that, and we long for that. Why? Because God knew that that was how he loved us. He put it within us that someday, they didn't know in the beginning, but he put it innately within every uh, uh, image bearer of his that he was going to send Jesus and that his love would go to any extent for his beloved, for you and for me. That you are part of, You are the beloved in the greatest love story that has ever been, the greatest love that has ever been, the greatest act of love that there ever was is the cross that he would bleed and die, that God who is worthy only of worship would sacrifice himself for sinners such as me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and yet he's like, no, I love them. I will do anything for them. Just like Romeo, he looks at you and he's like, she's beautiful. He's beautiful. Just like the weekend, he says, I will die for you. Just like the proclaimers, you may not have walked a thousand miles, but beaten and tortured. He carried the cross up Calvary and was crucified for you and me. This is love. This is love. And if you've never heard it before, Jesus loves you this much. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loved you so much that he came for you and me. Now, there may be some people here today that You've known Jesus for a long time. And when, when you heard about the cross, when you were first introduced to it, there was a flame that welled up in your spirit and, and you loved the gospel. You loved Jesus for what he had done for you and, and you worshiped and you adored him. And then somehow the flame just started to go down because where do we go from there? 
what happens after the cross. Sometimes the flame can go out, the romance. And yet I want to I want to encourage us. Please hear me. If you hear nothing else today, hear me. The cross wasn't the end of the romance. The cross was the launching point into divine romance with Christ. It is the greatest action of love that launches us into relationship with God, who is love. And so let me just tell us, and and let's just talk about, we're going to go through Psalm 139, that passage I just read. I just want to talk about how much God loves you, how he sees you. And I believe it will speak intimacy back into our relationship with him. So it says, you formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside. You wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. I feel like the Lord's like back up in my heart. So, so, so many of us think, and I, I used to think this, but so many of us think that, okay, I was made by a little bit of mommy's DNA and a little bit of daddy's and mesh them together and that's me. But what the Bible teaches is that God intricately uh, took mommy and daddy's DNA and wove them together carefully, skillfully, intentionally, making you into who you are because he loves what he's created. He, he never at any point was, was like, you know, I, I'm, I gotta be careful here. Oh, I messed up, man. No, because he's perfect. And what he makes is wonderful. It's beautiful. And he designed you. There's an infinite number of different directions he could have gone when designing you, but he made you. Because he knew there was no one else that has ever been like you. And there's no one else that will ever be like you. You're the only one of your kind. You were made for such a time as this to carry out the destiny he has put in your heart that comes as it wells up from his love within us. This part of destiny that, that happens as we rise up in, in the grace that his love bestows upon our hearts. But he made you. You were designed. There, there's no part of you that is a mistake. We weren't meant to look like everyone else. The world wants us to think that you were supposed to look one way and think one way. But you weren't made with the same mind for a reason. You weren't made with the same body or the same emotional type or the same spirit for the same reason. We were made uniquely. We were made beautifully and skillfully by Almighty God as His image bearers. And I just, I believe He wants us to awaken to something here to awaken to the fact that when we look in the mirror, that we don't have to critique all the things. God convicted me of that a couple months ago. 
just being honest, being real with you guys. He convicted me. He said, Drew, uh, you're vain. And sometimes when God speaks to me, it's like, whoa, you know, it's like, like oh, okay, I'm, I'm vain, Lord, what, what, what's going on here? And he's like, you're too, uh, what you think about yourself is too important. Whether you, you feel like you're too this way or too that way or whatever. He says, I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to say, God made that. Now that doesn't mean that I'm, whoa, wow, I'm great. It means I'm looking in the mirror and I'm recognizing who deserves the glory and what he has made is wonderful. And the same is true of you. You're incredible. You're so amazing. Intricately designed by God. The psalmist even writes, I thank God for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. What's he saying? He's saying, wow, God, you did a great job making me. I remember we, we were at a, a worship thing a couple years back and, and Sarah, uh, who is here today uh, leading us in worship, she, she shared about this worship leader that said, uh, God, uh, just had, had people proclaim, you did a good job making me. And I was like, what, what an incredible declaration. Can, can we say that this morning? Is that okay? I'm, I'm just gonna say, you say it after me. God, you did a great job making me. That was good, that was good, but I think we can go for great, okay? Because it was like, oh. so, so let, let's, let's say this with some gusto because he did do a great job making us. So God, you did a great job making me. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for what you have made in each person here. Whether you know it or not, you're incredible, you're beautiful. And though you don't hear it enough, and as you hear me, I feel like, feel like some people are looking at me like, this dude's crazy. That's okay. <laughs> but it's true. This is true. You are incredible. Okay. So he goes on, he says, it simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in this secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. God did that in making you, praise God. So here, here's where we're getting to how he sees you, how he thinks about you says, every single moment you're thinking about me. Now, I, I, at one point, I asked the question, Lord, how can you think of me and everyone else at the same time? And, and of course, the answer is he's infinite in his ability to think. He can think of every person on the earth and do everything and think of all the things in the universe and still have a lot of space left over. He is that intelligent. But he's thinking of you Every moment. And the psalmist writes, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Okay. So how does God think of you? How does he see you? He's looking at you. And he's like, wow. Wow. He's amazing. She is amazing. Wow. Now, 
We emphasize, and rightly so, to worship the Lord with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. And yet, as he looks at you, he's adoring you. We love him, and yet he looks at you, and he's like, wow. You're breathtaking. You're beautiful. This is, he's cherishing you. He's valuing you in every thought. In the next statement, the psalm says, Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. Now, scientists have sought to estimate, I mean, they didn't count them, obviously, but they sought to estimate how many grains of sand there are in the world. And their estimation is that there are 7.5 sextillion grains of sand. That's a seven with 21 zeros. So a seven, five with 20 zeros after it. That's sexy. That's how many grains of sand there may be in the world. And this is how often God thinks of you. And in every thought, he's cherishing you. You see, there is something so close. And Lord, I ask for your help because I believe people need this. There, there's something so important about understanding how God sees us because if I am praying to the one who cherishes me in every thought, who is like, wow, I'm so in love with you, which that, that's what this passage is saying. If that is who God is, then I will pray to him much different than I would to someone who's disappointed in me, right? Because if he loves me and cherishes me, then when things get tough, I can believe that, Lord, I need you and know that he's gonna come for me because he loves me. Let me encourage you, friends, if you want faith to rise up in your life, then I encourage you to receive how God sees you how he adores you. Because as I believe that he adores me, my faith rises up that my, my father in heaven loves me and when I pray to him, he's coming. He's already acting because he is powerful and he loves me and you. Now that also means that when he says no, when I ask him for something and he says no, that he loves me so much to not give me what I should not have. That he loves me so much that he's working all things to good through the difficult seasons of life. And I'm not preaching this morning that there won't be difficult seasons. Of course there will be. But in the difficulty, if I know to what extent that he loves me, to what extent the cross went, Jesus went to on the cross for me, if I know to what extent God cherishes me in every thought, then I will pray to him much differently. Let me tell you what else it changes. It changes the way that I read the word. Because if I know how much he loves me, then I can read each passage through the lens of the Father edifying my spirit. He encouraging my spirit, knowing that he means every single word in love, that each word is directed in life into my spirit.
Ephesians 2.10. Uh, just want to talk about this for just a little bit. And then we'll close. But it says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in Ephesians 2.10, this word workmanship, we are his workmanship. I, I used to think, I would read this passage and I would think, okay, so he made me and I'm supposed to do good things. Okay. Like it was, it, it was just bland. It wasn't, it wasn't, didn't have that supernatural life-giving thing that it, it should when we read the holy word, the life-giving word, right? This, this is what God wants us to experience is life as we read his word. But then I found out this word workmanship, I found out what it meant, and it took this whole different meaning. It says, for we are his workmanship. This word workmanship in the original language is poema. That's where we get our English word poem from, right? But in the Greek, it means this masterpiece of art, this wonderful work of art. And what it's saying is, we are his masterpiece of art. You are his masterpiece. I remember when I was first learning this, that in my spirit I felt like the Lord showed me a sunrise. And he's like, could you look at that and say it's ugly? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's, it's incredible. It's breathtaking. And he said, what about Michelangelo or, or, or Leonardo da Vinci's paintings? Would you look at them and think they're, they're ridiculous? Why would he paint those? And I think, no, they're beautiful. They're incredible. And I felt like what he was saying was, I want you to tell my people that greater than Leonardo da Vinci's Paintings greater than any sunrise or sunset that I've ever created. The greatest masterpiece I've ever made is those I've created in my image. You are God's masterpiece. The beloved of the Almighty, he would go to any extent, even death on a cross for you. And not just that, in every thought, he thinks of you and he cherishes you. You are his masterpiece. So today, I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk to two different people that may be in the room. One uh, is there may be some people here in this room that you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you today and you're hearing about the great love of God, then today is your day. I, I pray that you don't leave this room without embracing him as your Lord and your Savior. So if we could, let's just have every head bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you would, just repeat after me Jesus let's do this again Jesus 
You are Lord. I give my life to you. And I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. With every head bowed and eyes closed still, if you prayed that prayer, if you received Jesus for the first time today, if you would just raise your hand. We're not trying to embarrass you at all. We want to give you some information that will encourage you. All right, praise God. Okay, the second group of people that the Lord wanted me to speak to today is that is those that maybe you experienced the cross long ago or, or, or recently, and yet the divine romance, your romance with the Lord, the flame has gone out. Somehow it ended at the cross for you. And yet the Lord today is reintroducing you to his romance with you. And the Lord told me to pray for you this morning. That he would give us a baptism of love. See, Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist... He was baptized, he came out of the water, the, dove, the spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then his father said this, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And there's this love that was poured out on Jesus in that moment between him and the father. And I believe the Father wants to pour that out on you. Whether you're a brand new Christian today or whether you've been Christian for years, he wants to pour his love out on you today if you would receive it. I'm just gonna pray for you and just ask, just receive. Holy God, It is by your power, it is, it is by Jesus' grace, your love, your blood poured out for us, your resurrection power that has allowed us to step into the great love that you have shared with the Father and the Spirit for all eternities past. And you love us just as much as you love them. You say it multiple times in the Gospels that you love us just as much as the Father loves you and you love the Father and the Spirit. It blows my mind. But Lord, there are so many people that need a great awakening of your love. We need to know of your unfathomable love that it would be poured upon us. And it's more than just knowing it's experiencing, it's, it's, it's like hugging a friend or, or a spouse. It's meaningful, it feels, you feel something. And I'm not talking about just emotional Christianity, I'm talking about something real that's relational. So just as you poured out on Jesus in that moment, I ask that you would pour out on these 
on each person here, each heart here. I'm, I'm gonna read this scripture because I believe the Lord's putting it on my heart to read it to you this morning. Jesus says, I'm sorry, the, the apostle Paul is praying and I'm praying this over you. He says that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray.